Shaker Blake presents Sarcophagus and Ultra World. Hello, faithful listener, and welcome once again to another episode of Shake and Blake, here on Earth2.net and GeekPlanetOnline.com. I'm Dave Probert, and joining me, as ever, is Mr. Ian Wilson. How are you, sir? <laughs> you say as ever. Um, I've spent most of this evening being pissed off at technology. <laughs> yes, yeah, so once again, this podcast is cursed. This podcast is indeed and again, not not to pull the curtain back too far, but um, events conspired against both me and Dave yesterday. On my end, uh, I had to be in court as part of my job uh, until about quarter to seven, and I had absolutely not enough time to prepare myself uh, for a podcast recording. Um, so I, I phoned and apologised to Dave, and we we put it back by a day. And that turned out to be a good thing, because about half an hour later, I had a power cut in my building, which lasted for two hours. Two hours. So... And and what what does one do without electricity, exactly? Light a lot of candles. Right. And lightsabers. Lightsabers are terribly useful. (laughs) Of course, because you have a collection. I do, yes. (laughs) Uh, Good stuff. Taking my Yoda lightsaber into the loo. <laughs> I did not need to hear that. <laughs> well, that's just happened. Right. <laughs> right, well, okay. actually, we have some Blake 7 news. I've, I've suddenly okay. remembered. We have Blake 7 Ooh. news. Okay. Yeah, uh, Big Finish have announced that they are going to be doing... Um, you know, they've been doing the uh, Blake 7 Chronicles thus far, have just been sort of two-handers. Yes. But they are, they've announced that they are now going to do a full-cast story. A proper full-cast Blake 7 story. Ooh. Now, let me just get this up on the computer. But from what I remember, it's called uh, Warship. And it is the story of... What happened during the battle at the end of Star One? Okay. So yeah, it's going to be set entirely during the battle, so it's sort of like a bridging episode between um, Star One and Aftermath. Right. So this will be before Dana, and this will be before yes. Tarrant. So yeah, the the full original cast are returning, except um, yeah, Mark. Gam. Yeah, obviously, Gam was it? Gam was it in it at that point? <laughs> But yes, um, indeed, indeed. And so is Jacqueline Pierce's Servalan. Good, good. And I'm desperately trying to find out when that's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Highly, Highly trained, trained professional. February, February 2013. 
And there will be a tie-in novelization of it as well. So, yeah, yeah it's, um, Good. everybody's back. Uh, with the exception of Peter Tudnam as Zen, obviously, because he's no longer with us. Uh, he's being played by Alistair Locke, I believe. Right. But yes, other than that, uh, exciting stuff. I, I very much look forward to hearing it. Uh, and as do I. So, should we uh, should we move on to the feedback? Oh, good. <laughs> well, uh, let's start off with a little something from Stefan Sornock, who uh, has emailed us something about the uh, the previous couple of episodes covered. So, yeah, he, he knew he was getting it in a bit late, so uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, hi, Dave and Ian, Ian and Dave. Hello. These comments are probably for the feedback section rather than the podcast. These two episodes are both uh, cracking episodes that finally give you a decent chunk of backstory for two members of the crew. Both of these episodes put the crew in genuine danger, and as a kid, ignoring the violence that is generally present in the series, fake karate chops and bang, fall down, you're dead. These are two of the most adult shows. Okay, so Villa and Serverland got some nookie in the previous two, but you can kind of ignore that as a kid. Here, it's much harder to ignore the actions of both Avon and Servalan. Here, you are challenged to think about the actions of everyone involved, and there are no simple answers. That's true of a good chunk of Blake 7, but as a kid, these two were probably the most challenging to watch, excluding the end of seasons. Children of Aaron made me wish we had more stories of Aaron. This is Servalan at her best. Devastatingly ruthless, prepared to unleash a plague on a planet in her bid to secure the Liberator. No moustache twirling here. We get to see Callie has a sister and get a bit more on her exile from Aaron. I'm not entirely sure what Servalan was hoping to achieve by cloning herself. Lord help us, the universe isn't big enough for one of her. Her reaction to when the clones died is one of the were is one of the first moments in the series that we see Servalan does have maternal instincts of a sort and is vulnerable in a feminine way. So far, her feminine side has been used largely as a weapon, so it's nice to see a change and balances out her earlier actions of unleashing the plague. Even if you aren't a Chris Boucher fan, you have to love Rumours of Death. It's in my top three episodes of the series. This episode, Chris shows off his true talents as a writer, handling quiet, subtle moments like the interaction between the guards well, while slowly walking us through Avon's past with Anna Grant, and the first time round I worked out Anna was the agent around the same time as Avon, though admittedly, I was ten at the time. Chris balances the past scenes of Anna, which should be the hint that she's the bad guy, though acting as a member of the Resistance as a counterweight, constantly creating doubt. The opening with Avon and Shrinker is one of the best scenes in the whole series, and makes the point at which Avon's judgement started to become less and less reliable. This story is meticulous in its detail, which sets it apart from almost any other episode to date. It's a close call between this episode and Blake as to which is the best of the Chris Boucher stories. Cheers and best wishes, Stefan. Thank you very much, then. Indeed. And we have a, a little something from Mitchell McCann on Sarcophagus. Um, it's, it's not a massive amount of feedback, so uh, it basically says, Hello, Ian and Dave. I don't like interpretive dance in my sci-fi. Nuff said. So, <laughs> so thank you for that, Mitchell. And I've just been handed a piece of paper from Gillian. <laughs> Whether you want Aww. to count this as a piece of feedback or not, I don't know. It says, but it says, Dear Ian and Dave. Yes. Okay, it counts. So, sarcophagus. What a pile of ass crumpets. 
Worst of the web? Yes. Worst of Dawn of the Gods? Yes. Repeat. Arse crumpets. Oh, Orko. Lots of love, Jillian. <laughs> and we also have some feedback from the orgs on Ultra World, which we'll uh, we'll get to when we reach that episode. So uh, that's that's four in the inbox this week. Were it not for that piece of paper, <laughs> as Neville Chamberlain used to say, um, that's one for you history fans. Um, <laughs> I, I I would have got a draw out of that, kind of. Well, we can always discount it. Well, <laughs> that that's up to your judgment, I think. Um, <laughs> Uh, because I have three emails, admittedly, all from the same person. Um, all right. But, and they do split up into general feedback, feedback specifically for Sarcophagus, and feedback specifically for Ultra Worlds. All right, okay. Um, so I tell you what, I'll read out the first part now. Okay. And then I'll save the other two for the end of each episode. Okay. All three of them are from a chap called Robin Barnard. Hello, Uh, Robin Barnard. I don't know if he's any relation to Darren or not. uh, (laughs) Either way. He says, Hi, Ian. And Dave. Brackets. Sigh. I have been listening... (laughs) Doesn't bode well, does it? Not exactly. Uh, I have been listening to your great podcast over the last few months. Finding it by chance only fairly recently. I have not emailed before as I've been trying to catch up with the episodes to the present day, but now the time has finally come. You may wonder why I've chosen to send an email to Ian, given that I am not actually American. Because I'm so American, aren't I? Anyway. <laughs> Well, I think it's only fair, given that Dave seems to get a regular email at least from the orgs. I hope that's how you spell it. I'm pretty pretty sure it is. And apparently Gareth as well. Maybe I should clone myself to keep the score even. Or maybe someone else can email in as well. That that would be nice. (laughs) We can only wish, but it isn't Christmas for a while, Ian. Sorry to say. I'm guessing that's relating to my song Yes. six months ago. Uh, anyway, I have to say that I've been really enjoying the podcast and particularly enjoy both Ian and Dave's sense of humour. It certainly makes for an entertaining ride, so please very much keep that up. Okay, we will. I, I, I guess we can try. Yeah, we're going to have a go. Yeah, rather than adopt other people's senses of humour. <laughs> and yes... Please keep using episode or characters' names from Blake 7 to describe other things. Maybe a recount of new expressions at the end of a series could be an idea. That is, if it doesn't send you Cali. I think that's how it's... Yes, no, I, 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 well, I see what he's doing there. Yeah. Well, I'm off to watch Sarcophagus. I really hope it is not the web, as Dave's very heavy size might suggest. I will email back once I have had that experience, and let you know if I think you should unleash a zombie cosplay Travis, a gram, on the writer or not. Speaking of zombie cosplay Travis, (laughs) 
Did I ever call him zombie cosplay Travis? Well, we are now. <laughs> to be fair, he'd have to be now. Does this mean that Travis Prime is still alive? I mean, he could have been cloned. Dum, dum, dum. I, I can't think about that. It's too complicated. Slightly. Um, although, if it meant that Travis Prime was still out there, then um, it might be welcome. Although, I, I, I think that character's arc has um, pretty much been resolved. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that for now is, is the first of my three emails. Okay. Well, as much as I'd like to, I can't really put it off any longer. <laughs> Let's talk about sarcophagus. Shut up, Tarrant. Did you say something to me? I said shut up. I apologise for not realising you are deaf. There's something else you don't realise. I don't take any orders from you. Well, uh, that's a great pity, considering that your own ideas are so limited. Oh, don't try and bluff your way with me, Avon. I know what's been needling you right from the start. With Blake gone, you thought you'd got it made, didn't you? Thought you'd got control of this ship and a crew of three who'd say yes, Avon, whatever you wanted. But you reckoned without me. That wouldn't be too difficult. Oh, really? I don't think so. When you found me on the Liberator, it was quite a blow. And every time you look at me, it hits you harder, doesn't it? I'm faster than you and I'm sharper. As far as it goes, I've made a success of my life. But you? The only big thing you ever tried to do, you failed at. The greatest computer swindle of all time. But you couldn't quite pull it off, could you? If it hadn't been for Blake, you'd be rotting on Cygnus Alpha right now. No, you failed, Amy. But I win. Not just at games. At life. You also talk too much. Be thankful I'm restricting myself to talk. Oh, no, that's fascinating. You mean you can do something else? <sighs> okay. Here we go. Strap yourselves in. Oh, it's, it's you uh, recounting this one, isn't it? Yes, yes it <laughs> it's is, It's funny isn't how it? these things fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, well, we start on some planet, never named, <laughs> and a bunch of people in sort of funerary robes are gathered around a giant egg. Then a woman puts out flaming torches with her glowing hand. Iron woman. Yes. <laughs> and then we see a group of um, I don't know, like figures representing different things. Their faces are covered. They're wearing sort of cloth. and So you see um, a woman holding uh, like blowing some smoke out of like a what are those things they burn incense in? Orchid, no. They, they use them in churches all the time. Mm. It's one of them. Yeah. Then a jester does a trick. Then another figure does some um, some space music on like a lute or a harp or something. A, a lyre. Yeah, like like cacophonics. <laughs> no rain though. No rain, no. Then uh, some dude shows up, does some crap karate and then fires a worse gun and then a mysterious figure in black looms and but yeah, the funerary woman is wave, waves her glowy hand at him and he goes away oh god so should we start the episode of Blake 7 now yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then the woman puts a ring on, on a body um, something launches into space and then we're on uh, 
then there's a cross aid to Callie's eye. Yep. <laughs> and it turns out that uh, Callie spent the last ten hours in her quarters. She's um, fe- still feeling uh, feeling for the loss of Auron. Avon, of all people, is attempting to comfort her over this, which is you know, an interesting decision. Uh, then the Liberator is hoping to mine some valuable minerals from an asteroid, but they've got a limited time frame to do this before it gets lost, and they have to wait like three months before they can have another go. And uh, they're playing board games on the bridge again. Well, Villarez. Yeah, but that's that, that's always a sort of a good episode when they're playing board games on the bridge <laughs> of the Liberator. It fills you with confidence. <laughs> the first five minutes were a bit <laughs> up in the air. And D- Dana's got a harp. Yes. Or, or a lute. Or a lyre. And in fact, in my notes it says, Dana has a harp! Is this foreshadowed enough yet? Is it? Well, is it? <laughs> <sighs> anyway, the Liberator picks up an unidentified flying object... And uh, Tarrant wants to investigate. Avon goes, why? What's the point? But Callie is having a bit of a headache, like she's being affected telepathically. Uh-oh. Yeah, that always... Look, board games, Callie's being affected telepathically. Anyone else getting a sense of deja vu here? <laughs> Bad deja vu. So Tarrant suggests a boarding party of three people to go aboard the mysterious ship... Avon agrees, but says Tarrant isn't going to be one of them. So Callie, Villa and Avon teleport aboard the ship. It's covered in cobwebs and stuff. There's no instrumentation. And uh, Callie discovers the ring. And they have a weird teleportation thing. Uh, Callie teleports on board first, followed by Villa and Avon. Uh, Villa falls over. <laughs> oh, Orko. <laughs> uh, there's a thin atmosphere... Uh, they basically sort of uh, work out it's some sort of flying tomb or sarcophagus, if you will. It turns out there's a... that uh, Callie thinks she sees something and fires a gun and Dana says there's a big energy build-up on the ship so they think they must have tripped something. So they try to teleport everybody off the ship but they only bring Callie back. So Callie says, well, teleport me back to the ship, I'll get the others back. Tarrant and Dana were like, what? No, it's about to blow up. You can't go back there. But they teleport her back. She grabs Villa and Avon, and then all three of them successfully teleport back. Tarrant wants to know how Callie did that. Callie reckons she's uh, boosted the power of their malfunctioning bracelets. Tarrant doesn't believe a word of it. It turns out, once they get back to the ship, that Callie has taken the ring from the body. And then we see the mysterious woman who had the smoke thing earlier, but now she has Callie's face. But all of a sudden, the, uh, everyone's feeling a bit weird on the ship. It turns out there's a bit of a static charge on the bridge. Tarrant has a go at Callie and says, "What are you? Aren't you telling? What aren't you telling me?" Uh, Avon tells her to back off. Tarrant and Avon then have a massive pissing contest on the bridge. Yeah. Then you see a shot of the Liberator in space as a madrigal plays in the background. Yes, Someone yes sings. folk music. <laughs> In outer space. Then it turns out that Callie is possessed again. 
The yeah. weird egg is glowing. Uh, Orak says that the uh, mysterious egg is from very, very far away. Could even be from a different galaxy. And then he um, begs to be disconnected. He's like, please them to disconnect him. The egg sort of melts and disintegrates. Uh, Zen reports that there's a uh, there's an intruder on board. And then his voice goes all fur- funny and he starts sounding like Barry White. A mysterious voice then tells Caddy that she'll never be alone again. Uh, Villa is alone on the bridge and he starts doing conjuring tricks because he's getting nervous and he starts hearing applause. He then commands Dana's harp to play. Dana's harp then does start playing on its own, so Villa panics. Uh, the more you're sighing, the more this gets dragged out. I know, I know. I just keep getting lost halfway through these synopsis of this god-awful episode. Uh, Dana goes to find Callie, gets zapped by a weird light and passes out. Uh, Callie turns up on the bridge, but she's all blonde and in weird robes, and she zaps Villa. Tarrant finds Dana, and Avon and Tarrant uh, work out that you know, whatever's happened, it's possessed Callie and is now sort of manipulating her. Avon says that they need to sort of hang back and work out what it is and what it wants so they can work out how to defeat it. Tarrant says, oh, bollocks to that, I'm just going to go shoot it, and goes running off, and then all of a sudden, the mysterious gun-wielding figure has Tarrant's face! <sighs> Tarrant goes up to the bridge, tries shooting at um, evil Callie, but it doesn't have any effect, she's got, um, like, a force field. Uh, the figure says that she's going to have to absorb Callie in order to um, sort of uh, become sort of fully formed. Uh, the mysterious jester and harp player end up having uh, Villa and Dana's face. And uh, evil Callie says that she wants servants and stuff. So Tarrant has visions of them all sitting around Callie and they're passing around the dove. <laughs> and she wants to take... Evil Callie wants to take the Liberator to her own to her home planet and says it will take so long that the rest of them will die on the trip. It's going to take a long, long time to get there. Uh, Avon finally gets onto the bridge and basically challenges her to kill to kill him. So it's like, yeah, he, he's not going to give in to any of her demands and the only thing that she can do is make him die. She can't make him do anything else. So she attempts to kill Avon but the real Callie, her sort of psychic link with... Uh, evil Callie is disrupted because she wants to protect Avon and not want him to get killed so uh, they break the connection uh, the bridge catches fire Avon then snogs evil Callie and takes the ring back who the, and so she then fades into the non-existence and then Villa sits on the bridge while Dana explains everything that just happened for the last 40 minutes <laughs> and the, then the episode ends Mr. Wilson, your thoughts on this pile of old arse? Um, I'm guessing from your odd hint here and there that you weren't exactly a fan of the episode. I've seen better. I have absolutely seen better episodes than this one. Okay. I will I will say that I do not think this is the worst episode. Interesting. I... I, <laughs> I, I will... Say this. Okay. Actually, I will read out one of my very few notes on the episode because I kind of sat back and let it wash over. 
the, the note is as follows. I'd be terrified of this episode if I were A, on drugs, or B, a child. <laughs> because a lot of it really doesn't make much sense. Nope. Um, especially the first six minutes of the episode. If it weren't for the titles at the very beginning, there'd be nothing to indicate this was a Blake 7 episode whatsoever. Okay, I'm going to put a little something in context about the writing of this episode. This episode was written okay. by Tanith Lee. Uh, right. Tanith Lee is a uh, award-winning sort of uh, fantasy novelist and science fiction writer. She's written many sort of short stories and books. And, yeah, she, she was quite a big name, certainly in the early 80s. So, I mean, like, her writing for Blake 7 is sort of the equivalent of Bill Gaiman writing for Doctor Who. <laughs> I I see where this comparison's going. Well, yeah, but just in terms of, yeah, it, it, it's a big name science fiction author writing yeah. for a for a BBC science fiction show. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sh- I've not read it, Tanithly. I know uh, several people who have and adore her work, and I'm sure her original fiction is very good. I mean, I, I, I've not read any, but yeah, I'm sure it's fantastic. But this is just nonsensical bobbins. I mean, as you say, like, I mean, the only part of my notes is just like I'm writing down, you know, because I'm doing the synopsis, I'm having to write down all these things that are happening <laughs> so I can then describe it. But halfway through, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? You've got no idea. It's just like, and it's not, it's never even explained. Um, the, the, they don't explain what the significance is of these people being there. I think the closest they come to an explanation is the fact that when uh, Evil Caddy says that they were a bit sort of, uh, it was prophesied that she'd meet these people. Mm. You know, whether, you, know, you, you will meet a jester and a harp player, and because you know, you know, Dana has inexplicably taken up the harp for no reason. <laughs> well, I suppose she's got a kind of Greek vibe going for her. But yeah, you know, it, it's a, it's just so clunky. It's just like, oh, one of the one of the mysterious figures was playing a harp. Oh, now Dana is playing the same harp. Wait a minute. Okay, I, I think if I if I try and put the finger on on why I don't hate this episode, okay, is that I admire the episode for trying to go with a kind of allegory. Right. Um, I like the idea that these nonsensical characters at the beginning slowly are kind of suggested by the personality quirks of an old established crew that we're, we're fairly used to now. Yeah. And seeing exactly how the two marry up. Because certainly in the earlier seasons there were often two different storylines going on that were very clumsily interlinked. Yes. Yeah. And one thing I will say about this is that the two aspects of these characters from this funeral march at the beginning, they are directly linked. Yes. I mean, your your hand isn't held as you're going through the story, and I think that's to the episode's detriment. Well, I'd say your hand isn't held in the story until right at the end, where Villa shares the viewer's bewilderment as to what the blue head is going on, and then Dana has to explain it all. That isn't so much having your hand held as it having yanked <laughs> off. Um, I'm sorry. If if you have to have the entire plot explained and summed up in the last five minutes to explain everything that just happened, I think your main yeah. story's failed. 
Oh, I, I absolutely agree with that. I do absolutely... It could have been told a lot better. You know, I mean, just the fact that it was, like, left to the final minute to explain everything, rather than being kind of slowly built upon as the episode went on. I mean, I think one of the things that could have happened as it went on is that Avon, because he's kind of removing himself from Dana and Tarrant, who are kind of rushing headlong into things, um, he could be giving his observations to, say, Villa on the bridge to try and reassure yeah. him or something like that. Um, you know, I think there are ways that this story could have been done better. Uh, what I'm saying is that I like the kind of ambition behind the show, even if in practice it didn't actually. Oh, but yeah, I, I would certainly say that it's good that they're trying something different. You know, th- th- this isn't yeah. just like another like standard episode. But having said that, it's it's not like oh, there's Servalan, there's another new commander who she's promising a lot of power to. But this is essentially a bottle episode. Uh, remind me of what a bottle episode is. A bottle episode it tends to be a budget saver. It's when you find an excuse to have a plot which just involves the main cast and the main sets, or or maybe like a, a couple of other minimal sets, just to sort of uh, save money. So you don't have a huge guest cast. You don't have like lots of sets and stuff going on. So, so you'll do a bottle episode to sort of balance out, say, like a more ambitious episode. So, like the kind of Two light episodes that, um, like Blink and yeah, and and... along similar lines. Although yeah. I mean, like those do still have sort of yeah extensive guest cast and stuff. If anything, they're they're more extensive guest cast because they have to carry it in, in the stead of the Doctor. Uh, Star Trek and like, it's much more prevalent in American shows bottle episodes because they have much longer seasons, right? So they will have to occasionally do yeah, like. Again, it, it's basically a, a budget saver. In fact, there's a, there's a recent episode of Community which um, <laughs> which is a bottle episode, but mocks the fact that it's a bottle episode as well. So, right. I need to get into Community. Yes, yes, it, it, it's an excellent show because we don't we don't really have a guest cast here at all. There's a couple of extras at the start, yeah, the the people sort of doing the uh, the morning and the people dancing around in the outfits and stuff, but. That's it. Now, they're in like the first five minutes. The rest of it is all on board the Liberator, and it just involves the main crew. And there's one other yeah. set, which is the the sarcophagus ship itself. I mean, I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. Oh no, no. I mean, there are some bottle episodes that are very good. <laughs> and uh, and as I say, it's um, I'm not really interested in a bottle episode because it's to the episode's detriment. I I just thought it was an interesting. Opera- Observation because up to this point, Blake Seven hasn't really done one before. I'm trying to think of one. What about that one with the pirate friends of Jenna? Uh, but then they had, they had all that location filming when they met Callie, didn't they? When they, they met sort of, yeah, down Cal- on that. Yeah, because that's because that's the same episode. Well, yeah, where they find the people in the time capsule when they wake up, and then no, no, that's they're not... attacking. Wait, is that the one? Time Squad. The Pirate Friends of Jenna, only in episode four. Oh, Pirate Friends of Jenna, sorry. Um, uh, that's bouncing. Yes. But then you've still got all that location filming with the vintage car and stuff, haven't you, on the planet before they get done by the oh, Amigans. It's been so long since I've seen... We've been doing this longer than I thought, Dave. 
we have. <laughs> yeah, well. But yes, it's uh, it's very much a case of um, yes, they are trying to do something different, but and yeah, I, I, I salute the effort to do something different, but the execution is bad. Okay, there are a couple of redeeming moments. It's not in. There is some light to be had in the perpetual gloom. Yeah. Uh, the the spat between Tarrant and Avon. Oh yeah, yeah. Is yeah. I mean, clearly, I mean, this has been building since Tarrant's come on board. The, yeah, at some Se- point we're going to have to have it out. Seven. Yeah, yeah. So this, yeah, this this has been building for a while. Yeah. And so it all sort of comes out in the open. And. Uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I I think Avon wins this argument. Um, he does, I suppose. I mean, I mean, Tarrant makes some very good points, but it's very interesting to see the way that uh, they both approach it. Because Tarrant's very posturing; he's listing sort of all of Avon's failings and saying that, oh, you, know, you, you did you did one big thing, the, the bank job, and you got caught. And if it hadn't been for Blake, you'd be stuffed by now. And Avon just sort of waits for him to finish and then just sort of shoots a line at him and then lets Tarrant rant off again and then he shoots another <laughs> line at him. Yeah. Oh, it's it's good fun to watch. And, I mean, it's, it's perfectly in character for both of them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Especially yeah. because, again, Tarrant is an absolute arsehole in this. Yeah. I mean, as usual, he, he has got a point insofar that Callie isn't being straight with them. About but he has no how tact back. whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, he he, he doesn't have. <laughs> <laughs> whenever Tarrant has a point, fine, brilliant, but he handles it terribly. He's not a people person, <laughs> and that's why he keeps getting into painful situations. But then, yeah, this goes back to sort of Tarrant having sort of Federation training and sort of being an officer, and I think he's still got that officer's mentality of expecting to be obeyed by rank and by sort of breeding or whatever, mm. and the fact that. Nobody does, and especially Avon has sort of no no <laughs> respect for him whatsoever. Yeah. Because as far as Avon is concerned, he brings nothing to the table other than being able to steer a bit. <laughs> but then it's not just because I mean, yes, he overtly calls out Avon, and then he does go, "Well, shouldn't we all be suspicious of Callie?" Um, there's also an implication he actually belted Villa around the face. As well, oh, I don't, I don't remember that. Because when, when um, uh, it cuts back to Tarrant, Dana, and Villa beside Orak, and um, after Tarrant said something, Villa says, "Oh, my head hurts," and he's like, "Then learn self-defense." All oh, right. Which I always took to mean him being like hit by Tarrant <laughs> uh, just just before the it cuts back yeah. to them. I'll be honest with you. I genuinely don't remember that exchange, so I can't, I can't put that in any other context. Yeah. No, yeah, but, but it's entirely possible that Tarrant does try to knock him about because yeah, Tarrant is on many <laughs> levels a bully, and, and oh, yeah. Villa is very easily bullied. So yeah, again, that would be sort of very in character for both of them. But it does seem to be there is like, you know, like instead of trying to ingratiate themselves with the original crew, both Tarrant and to a lesser extent Dana do seem to be sort of swaggering about a bit and trying to make a lot of noise instead. Uh, I think they're trying to be much more pushy and forceful in 
in their attitudes to try and sort of make their mark rather than just sort of interacting with them, which again is in character for them because you know, neither of them are going to be subservient in order to try and get in with these people. They're, yeah, they're still going to be determined to be their own people. I suppose there might be a, an element of insecurity as well just because they are the new people. And it, I suppose board. it's sort of necessary to still have that conflict amongst the Liberator crew because obviously originally it yeah. was sort of Blake's idealistic plans and Villa was, not Villa, Avon was the one sort of, yeah, as the voice of uh, sort of like Discord or whatever. Whereas now we have sort of Avon sort of nominally in charge and sort of Tarrant not liking it, not because he doesn't agree with the plans or anything, he's just that Tarrant thinks he should be in charge of everything all the time. So yeah, it, it's yeah. good that they've they've still got that kind of conflict there, but the nature of it has changed. Well, I mean, they need that yeah. conflict, don't they? Because if it was too chummy... Yeah, he just, just gets be... in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I yeah. enjoyed that. Um, I I think when Avon comes onto the bridge at the end, he, he is unbelievably badass. He does own it, doesn't he? He completely owns it. And, and it's just the fact that the uh, evil Caddy knows like, the rest of them she can take down and enslave or anything, but Avon is the danger. Because isn't there a kind of subtext in there that Callie carries a flame for Avon in some way? Uh, Callie's a flame for Avon? Have you been reading Fifty Shades of Grey? I... <laughs> Here's the thing. I'd only heard of Fifty Shades of Grey about two weeks ago. Right. And I, I still had no idea what it was. It's just like, oh, everyone's talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm like, well, that sounds boring. Um, <laughs> and then someone told me it was basically female erotica. Um, which was very badly worded. Um, is it carry a torch? That's what I meant to say, wasn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> In this Olympic season. <laughs> Uh, but yes, I, yes, I uh, it, 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 it is it is very yet. strongly intimated, yes. <laughs> uh, I was in a pub when the uh, Olympic torch came past through Newcastle. Were you? <laughs> yeah, just looked out the window, there was some bloke jogging by. <laughs> oh, there it goes. <laughs> yeah. And then later that night, Bear Grylls zip-wired off the Tyne Bridge carrying Olympic torch. Uh, you, were you still in the pub? Yeah, I, I could be bothered to go. <laughs> but wait on the quayside for three hours in the pouring rain for something that would look a lot better on TV. It's uh, a fair point. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not just the fact that you've got evil Callie kind of going, no, I can't kill Avon, not a sec. But then there's also the kind of look between Avon and Callie at the end. Yes, they do sort of uh, exchange a very significant look, don't they? Yes. And also, um, Evil Callie says that she sort of looked into Callie's mind and know that, yeah, that says that she likes Avon and therefore that Evil Callie likes Avon. Yeah. Yeah, so th- there is that level of it. But yeah, it's just the, um, Avon sort of defines, I-, I love that line, make me die because there's nothing else you can make me do. <laughs> yeah, and you know, just just through his actions, he he very much puts Tarrant in his place. Yeah, so, you know, this is why I run the Liberator because you could never be like me. 
And also um, that fantastic line when uh, Evil Callie says, says to uh, Vader that um, oh, I imagine Avon's still in the corridor because yeah, no doubt after sort of holding you back and stopping you from um, running onto the bridge, he's decided to stay where he was. And then Avon comes out and goes, actually, I just got out of her way. <laughs> Again, that old Avon thing like, you want to go run off in front of it? You be my guest. You're just helping my That's... plan. That's Avon. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it is. It's just like the initial silliness of how they get to that like epic scene towards yeah. the end. And then just the fact that it's kind of undermined by the very final yeah. scene. Um, I think that does the episode down. And again, it's, it's not very well explained. But, I don't think this is worse than Dawn of the Gods. I don't think this is worse than The Web. And that's where I'll make my stand. I would say, I think worse than The Web, because right. as, as we've said in the past, we liked the first half of The Web. But yeah. it's just like the second half is so appallingly bad that that's the impression you sort of walk away with the episode from. Indeed. Um, still shit, but uh, oh yeah, <laughs> the web is shit. Yeah. Uh, worse than Dawn of the Gods. Okay, admittedly, probably not as bad as Dawn of the Gods because there are a couple of scenes I like in Sarcophagus, whereas everything in Dawn of the Gods just made me want to kill people. <laughs> and again, I, I I will put a lot on for ambition as well. Well, yeah, I mean, as I say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I will quite happily, uh, like you, give give them props for trying something different, but this didn't work out. I mean, ultimately, no, it didn't. But, you know, I'm not going to put it right at the bus. Right, I, I have one question about this episode. Go right. Orax scanning the egg. Right, he, yeah. He begs to be turned off. Now, presumably, this is because of the telepathic influence that he's detecting. Ah. Now, I seem to yes. remember that at the end of Shadow, Avon put something in that if anything tried to telepathically influence Orac, Orac would blow up. And it was also yes. referenced again in Voice of the Past when Orak said that he couldn't do anything about the uh, the telepathic interceptor because he has specific things put in place to stop telepathic interference. Yes. And then Avon grinned and was like, oh yes, yes. <laughs> I booby traps you. So surely, I mean, Orak turns himself off, but surely he yes. should be blowing up. I mean, obviously, yeah, for the sake of him being a regular part of the story, he can't. Yeah, I suppose it would depend on the level of psychic interference. Or I mean, possibly Orak shut himself down before, you know, like, knowing yeah. what would happen. He shut himself down. Although, yeah, that again, that's that's something we've not seen Orak have the ability to do in the past is to shut himself off. Because you'd imagine like the, the number of times that the Liberator crew annoy him, he'd be shutting himself down all the time. <laughs> it could be just that he. Drained of power. I was also going to say it's interesting that uh, Zen picks up on it as well. When like, like Zen says there was an intruder on board the ship but can't locate it. Yeah. 
So, yeah, is there a level of psychic ability to Zen that we've not been previously aware of as well? Or is it just like the presence was so strong that it's registering as a life sign? I, I'm guessing it would probably be the latter. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, essentially, Evil Kali kind of manifests out of energy um, that's yeah. partially conducted through Kali, but uh, it's partially drained from the Liberator to, to create this kind of being. Um, yeah. Uh, and what do you think of, like, Evil Kali? In in terms of, like, Jan Chappelle's performance? Uh, I mean, it's good that she's been given something to do, because, I mean, Kali has been, like, a little bland of late. And so it's good to see that Jan Chappell's had a chance to cut loose and sort of play a bit more over the top. Yeah. But, I mean, the outfit looks ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think you've got a leg to stand on when you talk about sci-fi, really. Well, <laughs> I don't know, because... I mean, yeah, we've seen some ridiculous outfits here, but, like, yeah, it's... it Here, it's a distraction. You know, people are going, oh, it looks like Callie, but not Callie. Yes, yes, it it looks like Callie, but she's part of Pan's people. <laughs> I'm too young for that reference. Well, so am I, but, you know, I don't... <laughs> But, yeah, like, like, she looks like she should be appearing in some sort of folk music video. Well... But yeah, I would say that yeah, she, I mean, she goes for it. Yeah, she does go for it. There are little glimmers of good bits in there, but there's just so much like, like the whole villa doing conjuring tricks to mysterious <laughs> applause, and that fucking madrigal <laughs> floating around. So what the hell was that? What did that have to do with anything? <laughs> and then. The warning shot just before the egg starts to disintegrate. You've got four random glass tumblers on a tray. <laughs> shaking around. And it's just like, Tarrant hears the four glasses fall on the floor. It's like, everyone get down! On <laughs> this floor covered in broken glass. <laughs> An idiot. But, uh, can we just say, henceforth from now on, for anyone watching the show for the first time, if, <laughs> don't show, don't show them sarcophagus. No, no. If you come across an episode where a they're playing a board game at the start and b <laughs> Callie gets a bit of a headache, turn it off. Run because for the hills. no good will come of it. <laughs> Those are your two warning signs right there. How many times this series have we had Callie gets mysterious telepathic influence at the start of the episode? Well. I mean, so far in this season alone, we're talking about at least three. Yeah. I mean, I think like the last two series, they did like an episode a series, because you had Shadow in series two. And then the web. And the web in series one. <laughs> yeah. But here we've had, like, Dawn of the, it happened in Dawn of the Gods, it happens in this one. To a certain extent, it happens in Ultra World as well. Yep. And is there another one? I think now. You could argue Children of Auron. Yeah, Children of Auron, there's a telepathic message. Not exactly tele- uh, taken over. But... No, but it. But like, you'd think that, <laughs> that you get to the point now, like, whenever Callie's got a bit of a headache, they just sort of just knock her out. <laughs> so, oh, we're feeling a bit woozy. Get get the adrenaline and soap, knock her out. Just t- take her down. 
we have a character who's a telepath. What can we do with that? <laughs> well, I suppose she can be taken over. Brilliant! <laughs> Why have we never thought of that before? Um, well. It's just, it's getting yeah. to be so well worn now. Oh, I mean, by this episode, it's yeah. already been. Yeah, it was well, it was well worn already, but like it, here, it's just like, oh god, not again. But again, I mean, I prefer this to Dawn of the Gods and how it's done. Oh, yeah, uh, it's done more differently. I suppose you could argue more interestingly, but at the same time, yeah. it's it's still going back to that well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just like, just no, stop I'm... it. No more. No more Caddy gets taken over by alien mind parasite thingy. Yes. Let's be a... get her back to being a space receptionist. Yeah. Much better. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, I mean, surely there's much, there's, there are more interesting ways of using the character. That can't be her only, what, the, the only thing she brings to the table. I mean, yes, she is telepathic and, there's got to be other ways of using that. I mean, they, they have sort of used it better in other episodes. Like, you know, when she sort of sends telepathic messages to people, there's a way of communicating sort of stealthily. Yeah. yeah or sending yeah. long-range warnings. Or yeah. 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 There have there have been interesting uses of her telepathy. And but yeah, you know, that's not all there is to her. I mean, like yeah, you know, she's meant to be a freedom fighter. She's meant to be like an experienced sort of soldier. And yet. Constantly, it's just like, oh, you know, her. She's got psychic powers. Let's have her be psychically overwhelmed by something. She's the alien on board. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it's like a bit when, a, when like, Tarrant sort of says, "Oh, what's going on? Were you being influenced by it?" And she go, "Well, why would I be influenced by it?" Oh, she gets all touchy about it. But yep. so you just want to sort of say to her, but it's not like there isn't precedence for this sort of thing. Like, you can hardly blame them for calling it into question the amount of times it's happened recently. True, except it just goes back to it being Tarrant. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Although, having said that, she gets pissed at Avon about it. Because, like... Yeah. <laughs> because uh, Avon makes a point of not taking Tarrant on the, um, on the... on the away mission, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Because, basically, he's worked out that it's affecting Callie, so he wants to take Callie over to the ship to see how it affects her, and he's not invited Tarrant because Tarrant had suggested the same thing, but less subtly. Callie calls him on his bullshit. But, again, you got to say, like, well, it, it, it's not like he hasn't got a point. Right? It's not like she doesn't have a history of being taken over by <laughs> telepathic alien <laughs> beings. Yeah. It's just like, if you're going to get taken over this time, I want to be in on the ground floor and actually find out. We'll, we'll pick you out a nice costume. <laughs> uh, have we got much more to say about this one? Avon Snog's evil Callie. That's true. Again, just, he's got to think for bad girls, hasn't he? <laughs> Hasn't he, <laughs> You're a crazy psychopath who tries to, who's tried to kill me. Come here, love. <laughs> Get your coat, you pulled. Grab your weird ass cloak <laughs> uh, but yeah other than that just sort of so I think overall verdict you're saying it's it's had could a go it's, worse. it's had a go at something different could have been worse I'm saying 
bobbins avoid. So, uh, did you say we had some feedback for this one? Yes, uh, Robin Barnard has a, a special email for Sarcophagus. Speak to me the words of Robin Barnard. Ahem. Sarcophagus. Ian, these are my random rumblings on this episode. This is just a completely crazy, nonsensical episode. Like Villa says, it didn't happen. Of course it didn't. It's almost impossible to summarise. <laughs> As you so aptly proved, Dave. Um, well, it's even worse when you've got no enthusiasm to be summarising <laughs> it. I can almost hear you both now laughing so hard you're crying. Or Dave being so angry he is ranting or anything in between. So it's a reasonable prediction. <laughs> yeah, he's not lying. He has been listening to the past episodes. <laughs> is this the opening ceremony of the Olympics at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> no wonder everyone's upset at Danny Boyle. <laughs> I don't think there were that many sheep in this episode. <laughs> I was just going to ask for someone to shoot me at the end of it, and guess what? They did. Is it me, or was there any point at all to the first few minutes? No. <laughs> it was good for interpretive dance. Well, I, I, um, I think Mitch has already covered um, that one. <laughs> and what do we get? Three-dimensional chess rip-off, and Dayla has a loot-like Spock? That's a good point, actually. It's a very Spock-esque loot. <laughs> Anyways, what is this? The third time Callie's been possessed? Well, o- over that, we've, we've yep. counted. <laughs> we should have done a possession count, shouldn't we? <laughs> shouldn't we just? <laughs> it's the bracelet count. <laughs> um... I imagine that if Dave is ranting, he may well mention how when Callie was possessed the first time via Aurak, that was stopped by planting an explosive in Aurak. He's very good, isn't he? Yeah, although that would be the second time. <laughs> or, unless he means the first time, uh, when he says first time by yeah. Aurak, he's talking about yes. Shadow, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so why didn't Callie see herself as a liability the second time she was possessed? Or any of the crew, particularly Avon? There we go. And now we're at the third time. It's enough to send someone Callie. <laughs> it's, it, it's becoming his catchphrase, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> what the heck is that song doing in the episode? Have I been possessed as well? <laughs> By the spirit of medieval minstrels. <laughs> Inboard sensors? Hang on a minute. Since when have there been inboard sensors? They would have come in handy on any of the earlier episodes where someone was invading or trying to take over the Liberator. And what about when the crew go missing? It is a it is a more recent innovation. In earlier episodes they have they did make reference to the um to the onboard sensors, but I'm sure a couple of episodes ago they were they came into play as well. You see, I'm pretty sure Zen had that information. I mean, if asked, like, during the first couple of seasons. Right. I'm pretty sure there's one where uh, Villa's the only one on the bridge who's like, where is everyone? Uh, <laughs> and Zed says, uh, I think you need to make a full investigation. Yeah, he, he also uh, says no information, doesn't he? Yeah. 
Ooh, a full investigation, a full investigation. I'll make sure Avon takes you apart so he can fully investigate you, etc. So, um, yeah, I, I, I believe this is probably the first in specific reference. Yeah. So that's fair enough. And then Villa goes all Paul Daniels. <laughs> you won't like it, not a lot. Yep, not half. Yeah, <laughs> Is the lady in gold cosplay Callie? Yes. Well, it's the actress who plays Callie. Indeed. Or, or, unless he's saying crazy. <laughs> oh dear, you <laughs> could be getting lost in our own character references here. <laughs> Maybe she was fed up with being a space receptionist. <laughs> I have to say that Jan Chappelle does some good acting here, and the standoff with Avon is probably the best bit of the episode. True that. Apart from that, it's packed. Though, thankfully, that was one bit of the costume we didn't get. <laughs> oh well, on to Ultra World. And uh, that's where we'll leave uh, email number two. Well, thank you for that, Robin. It's a very accurate, <laughs> very accurate yes. prediction of what, was, what happened. Man. He's a witch! Burn him! <laughs> Get out of our village. <laughs> so I think that's sarcophagus then. Yeah, yeah, let's put that one to bed. Right, so we move on to Ultra World then. Yes, please. It's no good, we've lost it. I don't understand. How did she get down there? She must have used Orag. It's not what I meant. You better tell them, Dana. Tell us what. The teleport coordinates have been altered to a new alignment. So that's how. Well, how, but not why? What's the reason? Why I suddenly decide to teleport down to a strange planet? Day trip? When the planet was on the screen, did anyone notice Callie's reaction? I didn't. You were too busy teaching Orac nursery rhymes. Riddles! Look, this isn't going to get her back. Let's get moving. I wouldn't advise it. Oh, and what would you advise? That we sit around exchanging speculations. You heard the transmissions. Callie's in trouble. She needs help. In my book, you don't ignore a call from a fellow crew member. Meaning? Meaning I'm going down. Look, if we use the same coordinates, we should find ourselves... In the same trouble that Callie's in. We'll see. Wait! That's an artificial planet out there, probably constructed by aliens, certainly unknown, and possibly beyond our comprehension. And you are planning to go charging in without knowing what it is like or what to expect. You've convinced me. Which is a pretty strong argument for not waiting a second longer. We can't plan for something of which we've no earthly knowledge. Maybe you're right. Let's go. So, Ultra World, eh? Mr. Wilson, tell on. Well, here we go. Um, Ultra World. Um, it begins with uh, the crew on the ship, and uh, essentially they've uh, picked up a signal, uh, which is kind of baffling them. Um, everyone except Villa, who's laughing, and when even dryly uh, <laughs> looks towards him. He's saying, oh, I'm just teaching Orac some new tricks. And um, Avon kind of double takes before getting back to the matter in hand. And uh, the scanners of the Liberator pick up a kind of artificial planet. <laughs> to which Dana says, artificial? You mean man-made? <laughs> And I was just about to say, well, yes, that is the definition of artificial, before Callie pipes up with, 
or alien maid um, <laughs> as a kind of tokenistic comment. <laughs> um, so Avon kind of wants to explore it as opposed to him not wanting to explore the strange craft last time round, and uh, this time he gets his way. Uh, but he he says, "Okay, we'll we'll just orbit around it so that we're not in any immediate danger." Uh, Callie's a bit distracted by it, so um, oh god! <laughs> um, so everyone goes off for a rest, um, and then when they wake up. Um, it's Dana who finds out that Callie's missing and that the uh, coordinates have been changed. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> stop interrupting me. <laughs> um, so, uh, she and Avon go to the bridge where Villa and Tarrant are because, uh, lo and behold, they've heard a distress call, uh, supposedly, uh, from uh, Callie's bracelet. It turns out not to be Callie, though, because uh, that hasn't been done before. And um, Avon is reluctant to go down there straight away because they don't know what's down there, but Tarrant wants to uh, go down there all guns are blazing and Dana kind of sides with him, saying, well, it's the only way, really. Um, so Avon agrees... Uh, so he, Dana, and Tarrant go down, leaving um, Villa up there to continually uh, teach Orak the, the wonder of riddles and limericks and everything like that. Um, so they go down and they find out that the structure they're in... Is it ever given a name? Uh, no. I mean, well, it's, it's just Ultra World, isn't it? Okay, let's let's just call it Ultra yeah. World then. Um, yeah, Evan uh, <laughs> quickly deduces that uh, it's set out very much like a computer, and uh, they go into a room and they're met by uh, the Ultra, who, for for all you DC fans, they're basically kind of brainiac replicants. Uh, but they look like Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze. Well, they're, they're the Blue Man Group, aren't they? <laughs> For us with the Blue Man Group. They're what? They're, they're, they're three blue fellas. They're, they're more like the Sky Blue Man Group. <laughs> the Sky Blue Man Group. Because the Blue Man Group are very blue. <laughs> no joke, I was on a, uh, a, a family holiday um, after I finished school, and one of the places we took in was Las Vegas. And we were staying in the Luxor Hotel, which is the one shaped as a giant pyramid. Right. And the the in-house, uh, very expensive acts to go and see were the Blue Man Group. Ah. Um, so there was no missing their branding. Um, and yes, they were they were a deeper shade of blue, <laughs> in, the word, in the words of Steph. Yes. Um, so... <laughs> So yeah, you, you know, bring bring on your quibbles, but I've I've seen them in poster form <laughs> uh, because because my my parents are both accountants, so they're just like, no, I don't think we're going to go and watch that. You can you can go go and watch something on the IMAX instead. I'm like, oh great, the Matrix Reloaded. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so that was my holiday. No gambling, no Blue Man Group. The Matrix Reloaded in IMAX in 42 degrees Celsius weather. 
when you're a ginger. Well, you're 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 uh, rich with money, but poorer in spirit. Uh, I had nothing to spend. <laughs> either way, either way, uh, we're getting off point. <laughs> um, so essentially, uh, the ultra explain that their ultra world is uh, their kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of what Wikipedia might one day become. <laughs> a gigantic, all-consuming technodrome, uh, which is, <laughs> which houses a brain. Um, not quite like Krang, but even so. Uh, and their, its primary function is to acquire as much knowledge as possible. And uh, that's what sustains them. So, um, the crew that's down there say, so where's Callie? Oh, she's just, you know, she's just sleeping off some trauma. Um, yeah, you, you can go and see them. You don't need to draw your guns on us, honestly. What a, what a curious species you are. Although, you are the most impressive thing about that unremarkable planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, they go along and see, and yes, uh, Callie is trussed up to a sleep machine of some kind, uh, resting. And, um, Tarrant and Avon again squabble, because Tarrant thinks there's something more to this. And Avon's like, well, we've got to take them at their world for now, because, um, you know, they have the upper hand completely at the moment. We're in uncharted territory. Uh, Tarrant doesn't really take kindly to this, so he goes off and snoops. Avon sends Dana after him. And whilst they're away, Avon recognises that Okay, something's probably up here. So he goes and uh, alerts Villa, but as uh, he alerts Villa, he is subdued by um, kind of the chief uh, mindless uh, personnel on board uh, Ultra World uh, called Ralph, uh, who we meet after. Uh, well, this is the first time we meet him physically. We actually meet him slightly before because Tarrant. Overhears the outro saying that, ah, they're actually wiping all of, their uh, Callie's memories and personality and character so that they can then feed it into the core of Ultra World. So essentially they drain her of all of this. She becomes a mindless drone. And then through further investigations they find out the drone, uh, the drones of uh, these bodies are either used to serve the Ultra or they get fed uh, to uh, kind of nourish the core. So, um, once the outro have gone, uh, well, actually, I think it's slightly before the outro, uh, Tarrant puts in uh, a random tube belonging to Ralph into the console and uh, converses just to find out a bit more about uh, the place they're on. So, Tarrant sticks up the ultra because he's all gung-ho, guns a-blazing. And, of course, this is a very silly thing to do. But he is saved by Dana and her exploding Cybermat uh, to create a diversion. And I don't know where she was keeping that on her. <laughs> I, I wasn't checking that, to be honest. So, um, it's only after Avon's been knocked out that they think to use their bracelets to try and uh, warn Avon that something's up. So, Tarrant and Dana are essentially trapped uh, 
they're not trapped because they still have the bracelets, but they're it's them against everyone else upon Ultra World. Um, so they make their way around the ship, um, whilst they're kind of stalked by the Ultra. Uh, it's revealed that their grand plan is to uh, drain the Liberator crew of their memories and then take their ship for the museum of the Ultra. Um, which came across... Well, yes, that's very much your territory. Well, this is kind of my area. Um, I mean, for one thing, I've never seen a giant spaceship uh, inside <laughs> uh, a, a, a random-sized building within a sissy. Um, it kind of made me think of the antagonist of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just like, ah, oh, you've got this, and now we'll take it from you. <laughs> put, it in, put it in my museum. Um, anyway, so, um, Terrence and Dana flee into a cold room and, uh, find, uh, some, some random drones and discover that they're, they're not the most observant of things. They pretty much respond directly to the control of, uh, the Ultra. Uh, meanwhile, Avon is doing his best to, um, fight the Ultra by refusing to go to sleep. Uh, and this film predates, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street by four years? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, where's Craven? You gigantic plagiarist. <laughs> um. <laughs> One, two, Avon's coming for you. <laughs> Three, fours, and we'll take no more. <laughs> um, the outro guy snaps Avon's bracelet just so he can't have some kind of convenient escape. Uh, this is technically actually a bracelet count of two yes. because uh, Callie never regains her bracelet. No. So after Tarrant and Dana discover um, the core and uh, the gigantic brain being fed with uh, the mindless drones, um, they then have to start running from the Ultra, who are tracking them the entire time, and uh, detonating parts of the corridor uh, to try and get them to go where they want. Tarrant and David, uh, Tarrant and Dana manage to escape um, by hiding in the shadows back in the cold room, uh, only to find that Callie is now um, a, a drone and her personality has been completely drained. Um, so, thinking about things, uh, Terrence and Dana suggest that they try and figure out a way of reversing the process and um, seeing if they can do that from on board the Liberator using uh, the combined might of Orak and Zen. Uh, but just as they um, uh, get in contact with Villa, the Outras have the drones uh, capture them and uh, smash uh, their bracelets, so it's now a bracelet count of four. And essentially, <laughs> there's one bargaining chip that Tarrant and Dana have uh, with trying to get things this way, because uh, Callie's uh, starting the process of uh, being put on the conveyor belt for uh, being fed into the brain. And the outro said, um, we need a new variable about uh, bonded humans. And so, Tarrant's Ter- initially resistant, but Dana's just like, all right, come on then. Get in here, Tarrant. <laughs> 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 
Happy feeling time, baby. I, I didn't know you had that in you, Dave. <laughs> but it's at me now. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> so essentially, Terrence and Dana kind of uh, stage a shag count. Um, whilst the Elchers think, right, once, once they're dealt with, um, this villa uh, won't be a threat. So let's try and start spooking him out with a disco ball. Um, effect <laughs> and uh, Villa by now he's gotten very bored with Ulrak's over analysis of the mechanisms of lyrics <laughs> and riddles and the like because it's, it's that whole thing about having a joke explained yeah um, so Villa's desperately yeah, trying to refine the key for Orak before he threw it away out of us of frustration. Meanwhile Terrence and Dana make their escape by um, some kind of explosive pill that requires saliva. Well, uh, I just think it's just some sort of teeny tiny grenade she's got hidden in her teeth. Right. Well, she was... Anyway, I, I'm not going to dwell on this. Um... So they, they throw it at the wall, they escape, and they make it down to just before Callie's looking like she's going to be fed, and uh, they get into a fight situation, and um, uh, as this is happening, the uh, Liberator's been starting to be uh, beamed in towards uh, Ultra World, um, but... As uh, the fight is suddenly won by Tarrant and Dana, uh, the core starts to drip with gunge and start to contract and everything um, because uh, something is absolutely sending it haywire. So as the Ultras are distracted, Tarrant and Dana bring uh, or just like kind of carry Callie back to the original kind of sleep consoles and they get uh, Callie back to back with uh, Avon and starts uh, looking at doing the reversal process as uh, Tarrant successfully retrieves uh, the tubes of their personality and brain power. All the while uh, the outro are completely distracted by what's happening with the core. Uh, Tarrant also notices that the Liberator's now on board uh, so he gets back. The memories of Avon and Kelly are restored, thankfully in the right order. <laughs> Tar- T- Tarrant didn't have time to check. That would have been a whole other show, right there. Wouldn't it? That that would be one of those cartoon shows, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, so uh, they manage to uh, get Villa to open up uh, an airlock so that they can just run straight on board. Uh, turn the uh, Liberator around. Tarrant kills two of the three Ultra in the process. Uh, the Liberator escapes and Ultra World blows up. And it turns out <laughs> that the thing that destroyed this hyper-intelligent, logical, rational 
all-powerful Wikipedia in space was Villa's jokes. Uh, because his lyrics were so illogical that Orak decided to use this as the counter and fed them into the core and essentially saved the day and even Avon can see the funny side of this because it allows him to make another joke at Villa's expense. Yes. The end. Well, um... So, yes. This is a sort of... uh, It's not bad. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's bad. But they've clearly got a very nice underground location. For, for the for Ultra World with all those sort of concrete <laughs> tunnels and stuff and it all looks terribly futuristic for the time so yeah. there's a lot of running around in them there is mainly by uh, Tarrant and Dana I mean th- this is very much Tarrant and Dana's show it has to be said yes and that is one of the big strengths of it yeah, they are sort of given a chance to sort of shine a bit more and to sort of solve problems on their own and stuff Although, I think yeah. it's telling that most of their problems involve Dana blowing shit up. <laughs> it's like, oh no, we're in a bit of a tight pickle. Have you got any more explosives on you, love? <laughs> I've only got so many pockets, <laughs> Well, I can only assume that she had to, um, uh, like, use a tooth grenade because they were, they were too busy doing the bonding ceremonies and the other place she keeps the dynamite was occupied. Yeah. You went there. I, I went there. Right. It happened. So to speak. Yeah. 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 Um, what I'll say about this episode is I liked it, uh, but I found it very reminiscent of other episodes. I suppose, yeah, um, I suppose it's a bit of a sort of a greatest hits mashup, isn't it? <laughs> there's, there's a strong redemption vibe going on. Yep. With a, and a soup sawn of the web. <laughs> Um, Just with Callie being sort of influenced telepathically. Yes, I suppose. Um, and many more episodes, I'm sure. Yes. But, uh, as I say, it's a long time since I've seen some of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's not bad. It's just sort of dull and a bit stupid. <laughs> I, I, I can see the main reason why people wouldn't like this. Yes. And I, th- <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing most people would agree that it's the kind of uh, villa subplot. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's sort of a, it's quite an irritating side of it. <laughs> but again, this is sort of, you know, the story doesn't really have anything to do with villa, so they've decided they're going to use him as the, the idiotic distraction. Although yeah. again, it's one of these things where, like, like in um, Sarcophagus, I think we didn't mention in Sarcophagus was the fact that evil Callie, uh, being sort of psychic and reading minds, she says that Villa actually has a very high IQ, but he deliberately acts like an imbecile. And that yes. was something that's been touched on before, like when uh, Villa said that he bought his sort of grade D rating because he didn't want to have to go to <laughs> do some sort of high-end job. Yeah. So there are many topics that imply that Villa is actually a very smart person, but he just plays the fool. And then you get episodes like this, where he is genuinely written as an idiot. <laughs> it's slightly inconsistent, yes. isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so they can't seem to decide if it's a clever facade or if he is just a moron. 
<laughs> I mean, certainly the look on his face at the end when Avon's kind of insulting him. He's just like, but what? Because the thing is, when was the last time... So I suppose it would have been, last time Venom actually did anything that involved being clever would be the uh, city at the edge of the world. Uh, I'm trying to think back to last episode. He didn't really do anything in Children of Aeron. And I don't think he did anything in... He, he set up a cave in Rumors yeah. of Death. He he gave Avon a drink in Rumors of Death. But yeah, it's sort of like the, um, the last time he's actually had to do anything called upon his talents was um, City, City at the Edge of the World and before that I don't think it was Series 2 the last time he actually sort of did anything that called upon him using his talents as a you know like, like a safe break or somebody's cracks locks and stuff well he was sent out of the Liberator in Dawn of the Gods yes because of his role there but yeah but yeah, they say, oh yeah, he needs a, we need somebody specialised to get the hatch open, but then he just kicks it. <laughs> Point taken. The reason Venom initially has value to the crew and everything seems to have been sort of kind of sidelined this series to a certain extent, and he is just sort of being played up as the comedy buffoon. So if it wasn't for Michael Keating's daughter, you know, he yeah, wouldn't yeah. have like a good <laughs> filler episode in all of series three. Pretty much. I mean, but in fairness, I mean, again, it's one of the pitfalls of having an ensemble cast. Yeah. You know, I mean, some people have to sit out so that other people have a turn. And, you know, in this episode, the people getting a turn are Tarrant and Dana. And, yeah. You know, one could argue both of them needed it. I mean, Dana especially. I mean, and if you think back as to the amount of season two episodes where Villa was really given, like... <laughs> Uh, a lot to do to the detriment of Jenner and Callie then oh I'm not saying that's any more right than what's happening I mean, it's not so much that Villa's being sidelined that I object to because as you say it's you just know, what he's it, what he's doing yeah it, it's, <laughs> it's just the fact that he he's now seems to be more and more consistently written just as an, an idiot and comedy relief and we're seeing sort of less and less of what he actually brings to the table Sort of, certainly what we saw in the first two series well, you know, when Villa's on form and he, yeah, he gets that sort of confident swagger when he's actually sort of doing something he's good at and that seems to be sort of less and less prevalent and they seem to be just writing him more and more as just comedy relief and basically someone to get the like the Orko moment at the end of the episode <laughs> but then I've, I think the character at the same time is strong enough to kind of withstand that kind of inconsistent writing True. As I said, I, I, I honestly can't remember too much of how it goes in the next couple of episodes, so I don't know whether this is going to improve again or not. So I, I hope it does. I, I hope we get to see sort of Villa shine a bit more again, just because like he seems to have been okay. sort of uh, underused in this series. Well, well certainly in terms yeah. of you know, lead as as a lead. Yeah. Well, and, and, and yeah, in terms yeah. of like a useful plot character rather than just sort of like a, a moron. Okay, so we'll, we'll mark it here. Episode 10, Season 3. We officially want Villa to do a bit more. Yes. Right. Well, or just, to, just to be used better. Yep, noted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hope, hope you've got your cards at home, kids. 
<laughs> we're, we're relying on you to keep us in check. Yes. <laughs> what do you make of the Ultra? As, as villains? The Ultra, um... Okay, um... They had a look. Um, I have to say, light blue seems to be the shade of techno-evil in Blake 7. <laughs> because I seem to remember the uh, the Alters in Redemption also wore sort of a light blue jumpsuit. Well, they're only one letter removed. They might be related. <laughs> so, if you see somebody wearing light blue in Blake 7, they're probably being controlled by an evil computer. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, and again, they're one of these villains that, oh, at face value, they're they're fine, but scratch the surface a little, and you you see their true intent. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay, right, yep. Yeah. You know, as a reason we shouldn't trust these people. Well, yeah, it is another case of like, oh, but we are, but but nine. Like, oh, actually, we're not. We're evil. <laughs> but I mean, that's I I I like that because. Um, it's good to have the to maintain the kind of sinister edge, uh, which arguably the show's always oh, yes, had. Yes. Um, but then at the same time, either in this episode or in Sarcophagus, I'm just like, yeah, I think this is so far removed from the way back. Oh God, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I have to say, after we discussed the way back and we were talking about how sort of serious and political and everything it is, one thing that in the back of my mind. I sort of did. <laughs> I didn't want to say at the time, but sort of like, you know, we are going to end up in a very different place from where we started. No, I mean, I, I think you as much as said that, but you didn't let yeah. on how. So I didn't know exactly in what way it would go. Um, but no, I mean, the, the shows have evolved, but it's always had sinister undertones here. Uh, yes, running throughout. To, to varying extents. A lot of the time it comes through the villains, uh, I mean, Servlan and Travis, obviously, and then, I mean, some are more subtle than others, because uh, compare the Ultra or, you know, or, or even Servlan, who can, you know, turn on the charm the one time and then completely drop it as soon as they're out the room. Yeah. And then you can go people who were blatantly evil, like Babe and the Butcher. Yes. Or or the pair bonding Viking, you know. <laughs> I love the way that it's like a, yeah, again, sort of like bonding is the euphemism for sex. <laughs> the bonding ceremony. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, I like, A, that it's ambiguous for viewers at home. Because, again, I, I believe this was technically family programming. Well, it was sort of like early evening, wasn't it? So it's, uh, I think it's, a, it's sort of like an eight o'clock, seven, eight o'clock, pre-watershed, certainly. Yeah. So, <laughs> a very odd kind of family pre-watershed. But I, whatever. So you've got you've got that for the viewers without overtly saying, go on, have sex. Uh, because even the, the Ultra themselves don't actually know what the bonding actually entails. Yes, yes. Cause, you've um, got these, these hyper-intelligent beings and they're like, Human reproduction? Nope. The thing is, uh, after all these, um, sort of, yeah, like human minds they've, they've sucked dry and have in their storage facility, what, were they all virgins? Not, not one of them had got some. 
describe it? Well, you have to look at them. <laughs> I, mean, I don't believe Ralph was guessing much. <laughs> so it's like the Ultra would actually just try to try to make porn. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's like they start kissing, and it's all of a sudden a bit of sort of seventies wah wah guitar kicks in at the background. Bow chicka bow, bow chicka wow wow, bow. <laughs> Again, you are showing signs of you, Mister Prey, but but I, I put more towards Black America. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so um, so m- moving away from sex. Um, <laughs> Although there is that gag when um. <laughs> Dana throws the grenade and it goes off yeah. and then one of the ultra looks up and goes, oh is that the bonding ceremony <laughs> yes <laughs> so, so, they're Again. giving Tarrant a fair bit of credit there sir because <laughs> 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 they hear an explosion they look up and there's a hole in the wall it's like, what, what did you think he did <laughs> what did that man eat <laughs> like, he's not Superman oh actually <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so it was. It was a good change for Dana overall. Yes. Um, and then you've got her being the impulsive one, and then Tarrant with Avon out of the picture, he's forced to rely on his smarts rather than his supposed personality. Um, well, it's sort of interesting because at the beginning of the episode, Tarrant wants to go charging in, and Avon is going, "Well, look, no, let's actually think about what we're dealing with." Yeah. Yeah, we, we, like, we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know what's down there. If we just go charging in, we're basically going to end up in exactly the same trouble as Caddy's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an in-character sort of tactic. I mean, it's something like Horizon, when you know, the rest of the crew got captured, Avon made a point of doing his research and, and working out what was going on so he didn't land in the same trouble. Yeah. And that's always been Avon's MO. He's sort of, you know, <laughs> get as much information as possible, know what you're dealing with, and then deal deal with it. Essentially, just do the opposite of Blake. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, it's, it's sort of interesting that sort of later on down the line, where things are getting a bit desperate, and Dana still wants to carry on charging in, all of a sudden, Tarrant's going. Actually, maybe Avon had a point, and we should possibly think about what we're doing before we do it. Yeah, because he says, like, yeah, what good? What good is it going to be if we're if we're captured and absorbed too? And it's thanks to his natural suspicion that. Um they work out or they piece together what's really going on and you know the the fact that they come out of this uh, is down in a large part thanks to uh, Tarrant I would say yes or yes and no it's not like Avon isn't suspicious of the Ultra but as he points out yeah, these are very powerful clearly very powerful people so at the moment we have no choice but to accept them at their word because I imagine they could t- he says you know, they could take us out like that. Yeah, and indeed they do take Avon out like that. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, just before he is taken out, he goes, yeah, we probably are in trouble, actually. So, uh, <laughs> stand by to teleport. And they get sleep hold. <laughs> His hand goes down twice, and then the third time he comes back up again. <laughs> Then he hulks yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just wags his finger at Reef Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> big big boots, leg drop. One, two, three. There you go. 
<laughs> till, he, till, till he tears his shirt off. For all the Avon and Maniacs. For <laughs> <laughs> Paul Darrow singing I Am A Real American. <laughs> I was just picturing him dressed as Hulk Hogan and tearing his shirt off slowly. <laughs> <laughs> With the red and yellow boa. <laughs> <laughs> just... Walking around the corner slowly while Voodoo Child plays in the background. I <laughs> <laughs> think, think about it. Avon's more like Hollywood Hogan, I isn't he? So. <laughs> Much more comfortable in the NWO. <laughs> uh, so, what were we talking about? Uh, Ultra World. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That, that. <laughs> Somehow we got <laughs> 20th century wrestling into yep. this. Um, uh, right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, so Tarrant was good. Um, uh, 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 genuinely useful. Although, I mean, every, everyone played their part. Yeah. Um, even if Villas was completely <laughs> kind of shoehorned in at the end. Although, it's sort of like a, Orax sort of, again, getting used as like a sort of de- Deus Ex Machina a little bit to, uh, well, no, no. Actually, no, that's, it's not a Deus Ex Machina because it's not a suddenly introduced machine, so scratch that. But uh, uh, sort of like a get out of jail free card. Yeah. Again, the Ultra probably wouldn't have been defeated had Orak not been screwing with it. Hmm. But at the same time, again, I mean, of all the opportunities there is for Orak to always save the day, I mean, it's thankfully kept to a minimum. Oh, yes, yes. No, I'm certainly uh, not saying they're doing it every And episode. this is one of those times. Oh yeah, yeah. But it seems to be whenever they encounter like a giant computer, it's sort of <laughs> like they should just instantly just go back to the ship and just say, "All right, with that, will you?" Yeah. <laughs> but um, and in fairness, I mean, given the potential for Orak to be annoying in his kind of comedy double act with Villa, um, I I didn't find him to be too insufferable. No, I I thought the uh, the explaining of the. Because it was a nice sort of inversion of it, the fact that like instead of like um, Orak finding Villa were sort of wearisome, it was like <laughs> Orak sort of like being amused, but explaining exactly why he's amused. You can see the look on Villa's face going, "Oh no, what have I done? <laughs> oh, it's dawn of the gods all over again." Oh my! Which is shit. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, there's sort of like not really a huge amount to talk about. I, mean, I think we sort of covered a lot of the main plot points, but it's like I should in between s- those little plot beats, it's just a lot of running around. Yeah, and again, I mean, after such a fairly meaty role in the last episode, Callie's back down to being the kind of damsel. Yeah, in this one, and again, partially because of her telepathic ability. Yeah. Because is that explained? No. Right. <laughs> no, that was a genuine question. I mean, no. Well, I can only assume it's just because it, you know, there's a there's a 15 story high brain pulsing away at the centre of it. So I imagine that, that probably has some sort of telepathic field to it. That makes a lot of sense. That's it. What, what did you think of the um, the the realization of the? The giant brain at the centre of Old World. <laughs> yeah, to, to, I think that's what I kind of expected. 
I, I don't know why. I just thought, yeah, it makes sense. Brains. That why it was full of Noel's house party guns. I've no yeah, idea. Yeah, but, it's um, it's yeah, I was just like, <laughs> nah, no, I'm not a brain surgeon. <laughs> Believe Don't me. Don't yourself short. <laughs> well, if you want me to have a go at brain surgery on you, Dave, then I'll throw my hat into the ring. But um, <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> I'm not intended. Um, but uh, I don't think it is full of green sludge. Duly noted. <laughs> In fact, if we could possibly get Dr. Stewart to uh, to confirm that, if, we, if you're listening, Dr. Stewart, if you could possibly get in touch with us and just confirm that if, if the human brain were to suddenly explode, it wouldn't be green sludge coming out of it. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Assuming Dr. Stewart is, you know, a noted brain surgeon. Because doctor, doctor can be quite a catch-all term. Well, he's, he's, he's a medical doctor. I mean, he, the guy does the radio on Sunday surgery. They wouldn't get, like, a doctor of poetry to do it. Or a doctor of history. <laughs> well, they've, they've had Kelly Osborne on. That's all I'll say. Yeah, it's the host. Like, he doesn't host it. He's the one answering <laughs> the medical questions. Oh, just as well. You're young. You're supposed to listen to Radio 1. I just turned 27. Exactly. That's, that's, that's your bag, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I believe it. The thing is, that they, they hired Fern Cotton and that was me done with Radio 1. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm like, I did student radio for three years. If they're just going to hire teeny bop presenters into the medium that I love, then I will quit this medium and do something else. And here you are. And look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> Talking at five to midnight on a Tuesday about a show I've only ever seen <laughs> retrospectively. Well, to think I could be talking to Fern Cop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you'd probably get more listeners. <laughs> but a lot oh, less sense. No. <laughs> Uh, I mean, unless it turns out Fern Cotton is a closet Blake 7 aficionado, I don't... That would be a very deep closet. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to assume. What, what, what with the rest I'd of her dark Fern... secrets? <laughs> <laughs> I'd just, uh, I wouldn't use Fern Cotton and deep in the same sentence, usually, but... Uh... Oh, that's enough. I, I don't want to keep bashing Dr. Stewart's Radio 1 colleagues. Yes. No, we'll, we'll, we'll draw a line under that. And yes. I think it's probably about time to draw a line under Ultra World. Yes. Well, should we hear some feedback for it then? Right. Now, do you want to start with the written feedback, or should we dive straight into the orgs? Right, let's start with the written feedback. Okie dokie. Right. So, for a third and final time, we have Mr. Robin Barnard, who says... Let's see how accurate his predictions are now. Well, yes. So the Nostradamus of Shake and Break. <laughs> Ultra World. Hi, Ian. Here, <laughs> you're, you're getting a bum rap at this, Dave. Um, <laughs> Stone more than I deserve. <laughs> here are my random thoughts on Ultra World. Here we go again. I haven't even started watching yet, and I'm already a bit wary. As if Dave's sighs were not profound enough, I could not help but see the first chapter of this episode on the DVD 
is called Contrivance. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Somebody somebody with a sense of humour at the BBC. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Serverland's empire is expanding. Since where? Now, I, I did have this in my notes. Ah, yeah, that uh, is a fair point. We didn't cover it that. It is a bit of a throwaway so, line. Tarrant, at the very beginning, uh, says, at the rate Servland's empire is expanding, uh, that is to imply that the Federation are back on their feet and the unidentified craft could be one of hers. Uh, but Robin says, I thought the Federation was in big trouble following the events of Star 1. I don't remember anything to hint or suggest this was happening. Um, I'm guessing we have to kind of read between the lines here. Um, because certainly the last time we saw Servalan was uh, Rumours of Death. Yes. Yes. And by then she'd had a new presidential palace built for her uh, when she could have used that funds for several other things. So, by then, she's starting to re-establish herself. And you can imagine, after that sort of attempted rebellion, she was going oh, to yeah. be pissed. Yeah. Um, she wouldn't be in her most merciful of moods. No. no. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I believe it's very much a background thing. We'll, we'll, we'll have to kind of gauge uh, how far it goes by the time we next see her. Yeah. Robin continues... Anyway, it looks like the contrivance in question is a Christmas bauble in space. <laughs> the joke from Villa it, sounds it does, awful. It sort of, sorry, sorry, I was going to say, it doesn't look a bit like a, a very well-lit Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> it did look interesting. And uh, also the sarcophagus ship from the last episode kind of looked like an onion. That's true. Anyway. Uh, the joke from Villa sounds awfully familiar. Please see the attached photo from Blake 7 Monthly Issue 2 as a side note. Villa's gags was removed after a few issues because readers wrote in to complain about it but maybe they came from Ultra World. Uh, I should explain. Uh, I've got an attachment to this email All right. which I, I will definitely put up on the Earth 2 forums and if I can't work out how to put it up on Geek Planets, I'll just forward it on to you, Dave. Yep. Essentially, there's a scan from what I can only assume was a BBC publication called Blake 7 Monthly. Nice. And there is a whole page devoted to jokes um, under the heading Villa's Gags with a picture of Villa at the top of it. Is he gagging? No. <laughs> that, that would work on two levels. <laughs> but that was no, the plan. <laughs> yeah, I I don't believe so. I, I believe it's it literally means jokes. Right. Okay. But, yeah. So as I said, I will I will put that up uh, in the forum post once uh, the podcast goes up. Uh, Robin continues. Wait a minute. The bauble has turned into a disco mirror ball. And gosh. Callie has been possessed again. I mean, really. And then, Tarrant and Dana can't resist the side of the audience saying that nothing makes sense. Much like Villa in the previous episode. 
And Villa seems to be teaching Orac about homonyms, synonyms, and idioms. Despite this, we get what at least I think is quite a good sequence of events, and a reasonably solid threat, leading up to the revelation that there is a giant brain, not only absorbing thoughts, but bodies, kind of like the Borg from Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, that's going to lead into a very nice segue once this email's finished, isn't it? <laughs> and Tarrant and Dana have to try and avoid capture as long as they, for as long as they can, with both, eh, sorry, he, he spells it Avalon. It's like, oh, it's Avalon <laughs> As they can with both Avalon and Callie out of the picture. Ooh, the bracelet count is racking up, and Avon is out for the count. But what's this? They want to put one on the shag counts just for educational purposes. <laughs> as the ultras don't have that information. Haven't they heard of porn? Again. Seemingly not. No, apparently not. <laughs> um, and that is one massive camera. Anyway, even the Liberator gets captured, and Villa is uh, starting to be brainwashed as well. But Tarrant and Dana are free, thanks to exploding chewing gum, and don't shag after all. What is supposed to be inside the brain? Pea soup? Again, Again, Dr. Stewart, if you could clear that up for us, that'd be awesome, thank you. Um, Best I enjoyed this, it did have some silly bits, but it also had a real threat, and actually made some kind of sense, which is a lot more than I can say about Sarcophagus. Maybe that episode should have stayed buried. Hey! (laughs) Until next time, ah. Well, thank you very much, Robin, and again, if you keep on at this rate, uh... Dave and I needn't bother. Let's we'll <laughs> we'll take a back seat. You just... Yeah, we'll get you to drive the show. <laughs> which, which is a radio term, as Dr. Stewart will know. <laughs> um, right. Anyway, stop pandering to Radio 1, Ian. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sh- shall we go, shall we use that Borg segue? Yes, use the Borg segue. Well, speaking of the Borg... <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the Orgs, hosts of the wonderful <laughs> Borgcast on Geek Planet Online. Let's let's see what they have to say about Ultra World. Hi guys! Hello! I hope you enjoyed Sarcophagus. <laughs> we weren't touching that with a barge pole, having seen it, what, less than 12 months ago, I think? No, it was more, because was it? it was at our old house, and my mum was down, and oh, she yeah, went... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd like to watch some Blake 7. I haven't seen it in years. And that's as far as we got, wasn't it? Yeah. On a rewatch. Yeah, so we made my poor mum sit through Sarcophagus. And I think a comment at the end was, well, I didn't think much of that. (laughs) 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 Which I think is fair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway, moving on to Ultra World. Yay, I like this one. The shiny disco ball. Wee! Of the future. It could do without the disco ball. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's a curious one isn't it because they're sort of okay we've resolved the Anna Grant plot mm. and Sarcophagus is just odd wank yeah. anyway and then you've got this which is kind of slightly Star Trekish, I guess they find a 
an artificial planet. I mean, that's up there with you, your standard Star Trek plot, yeah. isn't it, in many ways? But only um, Avon really wants to play the Star Trek game to begin with. Nobody else is interested. No. In fact, all Villa's interested in doing is telling crap cracker jokes to Aurak, which is yeah. a bit embarrassing. And he's got, Michael Keating has got the worst fake laugh ever. Yeah. It's appalling. But we haven't had a Cali possession for at least an episode, so it's time for another one. <laughs> <laughs> Except it isn't quite a Cali possession because she ends up spending most of the episodes uh, knocked out. Mm. I think when they were handing the scripts out, everybody else got a few pages of A4 and she got an envelope with a few scribbles on it. Probably. Oh dear, poor thing. And she can't even escape properly at the end either. She has to make a hash of that when she's been rescued. Terrible. There's some some nice Avon Tarrant bitching and Dana gets some good lines as well. Yeah. Filming in the underground makes for a decent set, as we found with Sunmakers the other day. And we get the Blue Man Group! Hooray! Who aren't too bad? Yeah, they're alright. Yeah, they're not desperate. One of them can't pronounce the word ship. (laughs) He keeps saying ship. Ship. Which is the blue was the blue Peter dog. Yes. One time they get attacked by Dana's mobile mind, which you could see that I back like again. That. And the little on. thing she has in her mouth that she... Yeah, a little bomb in her gob, yes. But well presumably it's um like people used to have cyanide and a fake hollowed yeah. out tooth to commit suicide. That's because a wince. she's aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a bomb in a fake tooth. Yeah. And the the ultra are after seeing the human bonding ceremony. Yeah. They're after porn, in other words. Have they not heard of the internet, for heaven's sake? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, we don't get to see an awful lot before they blow it all up, which is a shame. <laughs> yeah. I do like the green goo that comes out of the brain. Yeah, when the brain starts dying, that's quite yeah. epic, isn't it? Yes, and, and the flaky death of the Blue yeah. Man group's quite good as well. Yes. Quite spooky. Uh, the menials are an odd bunch. Mm. They're all old blokes. What yes. do they do? Do they capture a, a Saga cruise liner or something? <laughs> Wipe their mind. Because <laughs> they were going to get Tarrant to become a menial at one point. It's like, he's not going to fit in with that lot. <laughs> no. <laughs> to age him prematurely. Or maybe that's what happens, you see. After a while, you get aged prematurely because of all the processes or something. I don't like know. Yes, it ages you, maybe. And I quite like the idea of Avon and Callie getting their memories mixed up. I liked that idea yeah, as well. That would have been really cool if they'd actually gone through with that. Which they obviously weren't. But, um, with the exception of Callie, obviously, I think the crew are having a lot of fun in this. You can yeah. kind of tell, because you can also kind of tell Callie's really pissed off that yeah. she's not having any fun at all, understandably. So, yes. But it's quite a fun, silly episode, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. I like it, and I like the the concept. Yes. Which is, it's a good concept, but instead of being executed professionally, <laughs> it's executed Blake Seven style. Huzzah! <laughs> <laughs> good though and for once them all laughing at the end scooby-doo style is appropriate vaguely yes unlike yes. after children of Auron when it was yes. highly inappropriate, inappropriate. yes <laughs> okay cheery bye 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 well firstly Amory, your mother has excellent taste <laughs> <laughs> well, that that should go without saying they oh well, yes <laughs> But yeah, they, they seem to be uh, quite positive on that one, didn't they? They did indeed. Yes. And, yeah, it's all about nice to have some feedback from them that doesn't involve kneecapping somebody, which is a... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things you could have picked out, <laughs> there was a thankful lack of kneecapping. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I suppose there wasn't that kind of 
crumbly face of the uh, the main ultra as he sort of like as he keeps sort of fondling with the, those weird sort of tubes that presumably do something to the brain that makes make the creek goo stop coming out. Yeah, alas, it wouldn't work. No. Although he did just look look a little bit like he's like makeup had just been on for too long and it just sort of dried out. <laughs> There's always that possibility. <laughs> that might not have been the intention. <laughs> and the idea that Dana has a miniature bomb in her mouth at all times. Yeah, that's worrying, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, one, list, one badly chosen mouthful of food and that's the end of her. She gets a sesame seed stuck in there or something. She's screwed. Yeah, absolutely. But don't use that toothpick! <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a climax. Oh, yes. That's not the bonding ceremony. <laughs> See what it does to the walls. <laughs> right, well... I suppose on that note, should we do it? Uh, well, I'll hand over to you for this one. Let's bring on the Who Counts! Okay, for sarcophagus. Now, I was worried that, you know, with the complete lack of guest stars and only a couple of extras, that we might have a zero who count for, for sarcophagus. Wow. But luckily, Val Clover, who played one of the mourners, was a citizen in full circle. Hooray! So that gives us a who count of one. One. For wow. sarcophagus. That could and, be our lowest ever. Yeah. Well, no, 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 it is the lowest ever. I mean, even season one had at least two or well, three. To be fair, we did have to fudge Time Squad by using the main cast. That is true. Otherwise, that would have been done as well. Mm, I, I think it would have been one, actually. I think we equaled it there. Did we? Possibly. Oh, had to, oh, well, if you haven't said that, that was before I started using IMDB, so for all I know, bloody Ridgewell, <laughs> Ridgewell Hawks, Robert Smythe, and Derek Southern could have had like a reunion. Oh, could have yes. where they all met. <laughs> Alright, so for Ultra World, uh, Stephen Jen, who played Ultra 2, was Secker in The Nightmare of Eden. Ian Barrett, who was Ultra 3, was Professor Peach in The Unicorn and the Wasp. <laughs> Uh, New Who. New Who, yes. I've only seen that the once, so I can't remember very much about it. Well, next time you watch it, just imagine Professor Peach being pra- painted bright blue. <laughs> Will they? Uh, Hugh Cecil, who was a menial, was a technics in the Dalek Master Plan, a priest in the Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve, a worker in the War Machines, and an extra in the Silurians. Those are mostly old stories. Uh, the first three are all William Hartnell stories. Yeah. Uh, the awesomely named Mr. Tex Fuller. Wow. Who played a medial. 
was an excellent messenger in Death to the Daleks. And a long-time friend of the Who Counts, Mr. Ridgewell Hawks. Yes. Who was a menial, was a sea-based guard in Warriors of the Deep. And Reg Woods, who was a menial, was a Krag in Sharda and a guard in State of Decay. Which brings us, uh, for Ultra World, a Who Count of six. Very good. So, moving on. Mr. Wilson. Yes. What news of the Earth they call two? The second Earth. Yeah. <laughs> second Earth. Um, well, um, as of recording, uh, we've just come out the other side of, I think it's our second themed week ever. Uh, we did do a Doctor Who themed week back in the day, which culminated in the inaugural episode of uh, Bigger on the Inside, uh, to which this podcast owes everything. Um, yes. But uh, Mike's decided to revive the idea, and we're going to do quite a few more of those in um, the foreseeable future, we think. Um, we're just learning to space them out, because uh, initially we were going to make this week another themed week, but uh, Mike's been a bit burnt out from the week he's just done. I may as well say what the week is. Um, it's been themed upon G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Now, well, action, action Force, as it was known in the UK. <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, where's the marketability about American heroes? Well, the original G.I. Joe figure was over here as Action Man. Okay. So, uh, but uh, when it became the, 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 the little figures. That's where it differentiated. Okay. It was, I think it was first marketed over here as Action Force, but I think the comics eventually were just G.I. Joe. Action Man, the greatest hero of them all. Uh, I, I had an old e- eagle eyes action man. <laughs> Take a hike, X. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so um, essentially, throughout the week, uh, there's been a podcast a day from Earth2.net for show uh, dealing with different aspects about um, the uh, G.I. Joe uh, universe, essentially. Um, I'm not going to get these right in order exactly, but I know Dan and Mike had a big discussion about uh, the G.I.J. figures. Uh, there's been a Saturday Morning 101 where Dan and his friend Jonathan uh, talked about the cartoons. Uh, Mike has reviewed Solo uh, so two G.I.J. animated movies and I've believe 2009's live action, G.I. Joe The Rise of Cobra uh, starring the Ninth Doctor as Destro um, from the people who brought you The Mummy Yes. so uh, I'm not sure why I didn't watch that, although I think it might have had something to do with Channing Tatum Yeah, I've seen it It's, it's not great No and yet the sequel was looking pretty good well, it's got the rock in it, which is always, you know, a sort of enjoyable, dumb fun, if nothing else. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so, essentially, that's what uh, last week, as of recording, was about. And you'll be able to find all of those episodes uh, on iTunes, or at the sites, or if you are subscribed to an RSS feed. So that's the big thing, other than the fact that um, Extra Lives are 
video game podcast recently reached its 50th episode. Oh, congratulations. Uh, so there's three hours of random video game fun with DW and Aaron. Well, yeah, I've got to say, I've been listening to some of the uh, G.I. Joe episodes, just because I'm sort of fascinated by it, because it was, it was never that big over here. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, very much like a big pop culture thing for sort of people of a certain age well, over the US. Yeah. And luckily, Mike and Dan are that certain age. Well, yes. <laughs> that is to say old. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, I've, I've actually found it quite um, quite interesting to hear from... Uh, well, from from their perspective about the sort of like yeah, the cultural impact of it and, and sort of what was good about it and that really because I, I didn't really see the cartoons that much growing up but I, I, it, it's an interesting listen yeah I'll back you up on that because I mean not only was it not really out in this country but I, yeah, without the ageism jokes I, I am younger than you and I, I just kind of missed yeah. that wave in the same way I missed Transformers which was its like main yeah. contemporary um, so I really started picking up on the Turtles as my big obsession and then went from there. Um, so yeah, so 80s Americana, along with yes. Hulk Hogan. He's already had far too much exposure <laughs> for a Blake 7 podcast. <laughs> We've been talking about Avon as Hulk Hogan. Subtly different. <laughs> well, yes. Anyway, what's about Geek Planet Online, sir? Well, uh, Geek Planet Online is uh, currently in the middle of celebrating the return of, a, of an old favourite. Mr. Danny Davies is uh, returning with his uh, one-man comedy podcast, A Disappointment, for uh, a second series. It's, it really is one of the funniest shows I've, I've heard out there. And I know it's going to sound like I'm sort of bigging up my own site and I've got a vested interest in it, but I, I genuinely think that some of the comedy that Dad is putting it out is some of the best stuff being made at the minute, even by sort of bigger named people. I, don't, I think more people need to know who Danny is and what he's doing. And like, he puts a hell of a lot of work into it. He does all the voices and all the yeah, all the editing and everything himself. It's very much a one man project. Although he does have a couple of a uh, couple of guests in the second series, but uh, yeah, certainly go, go to Geek Planet online, listen to the new episode or. Even better, listen to the first series and then listen to the new episode. That's what I'll be doing. Yes. Yeah, it, it's really funny stuff. Right then. Let's... I suppose that's us done, isn't it? Yeah, let's let's get this thing over with. Yes. Is that the bonding ceremony? So, next time we're going to be covering two more episodes of Blake 7. What are those episodes, Ian? Why, Dave, those episodes are Moloch and Death Watch. Ah, we're getting into the uh, the last episodes of the season. Yeah, it was but, set, certainly looking that way. Yeah, well, well, I think another another two shows will have uh, reached the end of series three. Yes. So yes, as, as series three starts to enter its death throes, find out <laughs> next time if uh, it, it can rise above episodes like Sarcophagus <laughs> and Dawn of the Gods. Sarcophagus is technically buried in a tomb. <laughs> which means it is depths from which it can rise. Okay. Anyway, on that bombshell. <laughs> from me, Dave Bromus. 
and myself, Ian Wilson. Thank you for listening to Shaker Blake. <laughs>